We would like to start today's podcast by acknowledging that we are recording this on the traditional lands of the Seminole and Tokabaga people. We talk more in the episode itself about how we are trying to be responsible with our vocabulary, and pretty much that's it. That's it. All right, let's get into some silliness. Yes. I believe I have said on this podcast before that my favorite TV show of all time is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. So I have room in my heart for something that starts out not great and then becomes great. Okay. And I see the X-Files going that way. This first season's been a little rough. It's kind of especially with this episode. <laughs> and they are hitting on some things, though. It's getting... There's there's sparks. They're 1994 trying? <laughs> well, I'm saying there's sparks like Mulder and Scully are gelling. Oh, yeah. And David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson are gelling. Yeah. And you can see it sort of coming together. And hopefully Fox is going to give them a budget. They're going to be able to do some really good stuff, considering, you know, 11 seasons. So I'm expecting that. You're hoping for better mics than Gillian Anderson having to scream her lines <laughs> at David Duchovny, who's two feet away? Yes. So I was thinking about things that, you know, start out eh and then get good. But then I also today listened to Donda, the new Kanye West album. Oh, okay. And have you ever seen something start out so great, just brilliant, and then degenerate into something so bad? Okay, well, you prepped me for this by saying, do you have anything that's ever been so good and then turned so bad? Yeah, but so like you capital, ju- so good, right. and then turn into so bad. Right, but then you rephrased it, and what you rephrased it to just now takes my example <laughs> out of the running. Oh, well, I mean, say it anyway. So, here, let me, let me look at exactly how you said it. Okay, you said, I'm going to ask you if you can think of something else that goes from being so good Mm-hmm. to so bad. Yeah. And my initial answer was having sex with someone you're not supposed to. Oh my God. <laughs> so then when you reworded it to like so brilliant, I was like, no, it's never a brilliant idea. Okay. <laughs> Any other questions? <laughs> so rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I am Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And this is The Cast Files. I am a nerd who has somehow never seen The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. The Cast Files is a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of The X-Files spoiler-free. Today we are talking about Season 1, Episode 19, Shapes. It originally aired April 1st, 1994. April Fool's Day. This is their April Fool's special? This is their April Fool's special. (laughs) To a viewership of 11.5 million people. It was written by Marilyn Osborne, directed by David Nutter. This is his fourth episode. Oh, good. You wrote it down. Yes. Is this the first one written by a woman? I think so. I'd have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure that is accurate. Hmm. Interesting. It is also interesting that it's this episode. Yeah. And I could not find anything about her to see if she is American Indian. Ah. Speaking of that, let's talk about vocabulary for a second. <laughs> Obviously, we are white people. So, as far as I understand, 
to say Native American is to imply that they are not native to their nation. So the current preferred nomenclature is American Indian. Editor's note, I forgot to say that is if you don't know their tribe. If you do know their tribe, obviously that is what is preferred. However, they use Native American throughout this episode. Once or twice. They just say Indian most of the time. Oh, you're right. You know what? And I, I wrote in Native American through my notes because that was less awful than just straight <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah. So I personally, I'm going to be saying American Indian, and that is why. That is what I understand to be preferred. And obviously, different people are going to prefer different things. Right. So that's where I'm at on this. If I'm wrong, feel free to correct me. Yeah, please. It would be nice to know the right terminology. Yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm trying. So there's that. There's that little bit on vocabulary. All right. So what Hulu says is the agents track a wolf-like creature linked to Native American legend. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Pretty basic. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the cast. There's... Okay, well, before we get into the cast, how did you, uh, understanding this episode has some issues, especially being 30 years old at this point. Yeah. How did you like the episode overall? Overall, I, I would have put this one in the thumbs up category. Overall, it's just some of the, the missteps are huge missteps. They are, but they also feel very early 90s. Yeah. So if we're watching it through the 2021 lens, they are egregious. Well, later on, I've got a little bit to insert in one scene, and it's egregious at the time. Oh, I'm not saying that they should have gotten away with this. I'm just saying it was easier to get away with in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I also enjoyed it in theory. (laughs) That's a great way to say it. (laughs) More than execution, because each... Each misstep, I was cringing, and I was like, I I don't know enough to know how to fix this, but I know enough to know that this isn't okay. Yeah. Which is on me, and I will be doing some more reading. I do appreciate that they do use indigenous actors here. Yes. Shot in Canada, so I'm going to assume First Nations people, aside from Michael Horse, of course, of course. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this won't... (laughs) That's a good segue into this isn't going to all be how much we, how little we know, how much we don't know and how little we do know. So let's get into the cast. Like you mentioned, we have Michael Horse, a.k.a. Sheriff Tuscany. He is in Twin Peaks, of course. He is the third Twin Peaks alumnus to appear in the X-Files. Yes. Alongside David Duchovny, also Twin Peaks yes. alumnus. And? Oh, the other two? Are uh, the Jersey Devil and... Uh, Beyond the Sea. Beyond, oh, Don Davis. Yep. Yeah. So he was also in a movie called Skinwalker Ranch. Ah, what? Yep, from 2013. Huh. <laughs> You'll see a theme throughout this one. I hadn't been doing this before, but I tried to pull at least one TV or movie that they were in that has some sort of thread to the themes today. And so Skinwalker Ranch really, really landed that one. We also have Jimmy Herman, a.k.a. Ish. He was in Dances with Wolves and Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Renee Morisot, a.k.a. Gwen Goodensnake. 
was in a TV series called North of 60. Jimmy Herman was also in that. She was in another TV series called In Cold Blood. Ooh. Yep. Ty Miller is Lyle Parker. He was the kid in the Young Writers TV series. And in another TV movie called Not Quite Human 2. <laughs> he was in a lot of sequels. There That's... was an... There's another one where he was in the fourth and fifth movies of, of a series. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. Donnelly Rhodes is Jim Parker. He was in something called Human Target. You see why I picked that one? <laughs> it was a TV series. And we have another appearance of Jim Teacher the movie, where last time we re- realized Jim Teacher the movie was a credit was for Ellie Harvey a.k.a. the lady with amazing eyelashes in episode 17, EBE. Mm-hmm. I also did a little bit of research on various wolf-like creatures linked to indigenous people legends just to see what would happen. Okay. And I discovered that a lot of white settlers would have really been taken by Ripley and his Believe It or Not Museum. <laughs> They would have loved his show. This one specific story that I found was some guy, some somebody's granddaddy's granddaddy, shot a wolf that had that didn't look exactly like a normal wolf. So maybe it had some mange. Maybe it had mange. Maybe it had some other sort of disfiguration, something. Or the taxidermist wasn't great. Oh, good. And. It's become a legend in this white family about this creature that walked on their land and my great granddaddy shot it and I couldn't find it and then it was found in a basement of this museum and they've let me have it back so I can show it to my town and here's my here's my whole family's legend shooting and killing this wolf-like creature. It's just a poorly taxidermied wolf. Yeah. Neat. There were several of those, and I'm like, why is it? What? Stop it. So, let's get into the egregiousness of more white people where they shouldn't be. We are um, at the opening scene. It's called Two Medicine Ranch in Browning, Montana. We open with thunder peeling. Oh, yes. We had the closed captioned on, and that was... How does thunder peel? And the thunder peals. Yep, I was about to do that. (laughs) And the lightning strikes. All right, it's a dark and stormy night. Inside their home, Jim and Lyle Parker load their shotguns, as you do on a dark and stormy. Right, right after the thunder peals, it pans over to a guy loading a shotgun and up to his face, and we see not Sam Elliott. It is definitely discount store Sam Elliott. (laughs) Yeah. I, every now and then they'd shoot him, and I'd be like, is Sam Elliott? No. <laughs> he would have done really well in this role. Yeah, I don't want to take anything away from the actor who plays this role, because he was perfectly fine. It's true. But <laughs> but the mustache. His look. His, yeah, his look was definitely Sam Elliott-esque. Yeah. In their home, there are so many taxidermied animals, it's just disturbing. That whole opening scene, as there's lightning flashing and they're loading their weapons it just flashes to like here's a bear here's another dead animal here's another dead animal here's another dead animal there's so many dead animals in their house yeah how much did that cost i don't understand and they're drinkers and they have guns all over the place yep how do half those things just not have heads (laughs) 
Well, just wait. (laughs) We hear an animal outside, and the Parkers go outside to their barn. Lyle, the son, enters the stall to the barn to check on the horse. As he steps out of the barn, he finds a horned cow lying dead. Now, in the notes, I saw that they said it was a bull, but I think that was a misrepresentation because cows also have horns, and a lot of people don't know that. I did not know that. Oh, yes, cows have horns. Like the lady cows? The lady cows. Have horns? Yep. Interesting. Not all of them, but certain breeds. Huh. Yep. I'm only familiar with the Holsteins. I see. Yes. The fanciest of the fancy. Are Holsteins fancy? I think so. Oh, I have no idea. I'm not sure either. I mean, I know everything about them. Oh, that's right. Yes. yes. My grandma and grandpa. Oh, talking about my grandparents yeah. and some stories. <laughs> <laughs> they have a. They have some land in Central Florida. It, not Central Florida like Disney. Central Florida like <laughs> the middle of nowhere. Hmm. And they've had cows since I can remember. So when we would go visit in the summertime, we'd go and feed sugarcane to the cows. Mm-hmm. And that we would see their calves because they would calve in spring. And so by the time we come down in summer, they had their little little calves running around. Yeah. And uh, one of them, I remember, you had, to, you had to be careful with a couple of them because some of them were friendly and docile. And some of them didn't like people to be too close. And the ones that didn't like people to be too close... We're also the ones with horns. Huh. And they would ram the fence. Wow. That would be scary. Not repeatedly, but, you know, if you think of it as repeatedly, it sounds scarier than it was. I think once is plenty (laughs) plenty scary. (laughs) Then Lyle hears a growl nearby and looks around. And I said the practical effects on the budget, on this budget, are in full force with this hideous face. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But they only shoot like a quarter of the face. I know. Like, they made a full mask. I'm they, sure of it. Right. I would love to see the full thing. I wonder if it was just terrible. I don't know. And they and, the, and David Nutter was like, eh, we can't use the whole thing. I don't know. They really put some work into... Yeah, it looked like the bit we saw. Right. It looked like they put a lot of work into it. And then yeah. they only showed a quarter of it. So, I'm curious. I'm curious for the X-Files Museum and to see that full mask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> While he's looking at this or it's watching him, it's... It's X-Files shooting, so it's hard to tell what direction anybody is actually in. But Lyle gets attacked from behind by a large animal and falls to the barn floor. Jim Parker, the dad, hears a roar or a sound. It was hard to tell because it was also still thundering and there was music. It was noisy. There was a lot of noise happening. But obviously there's a a scuffle happening. And the animal, which looks like a man-beast slash werewolf, Swipes at Lyle, then throws him outside the barn and through a fence. That was a heavy throw. Yeah. it's That's a strong beast. It was, Man yes. beast. Man beast. Man wolf beast. <laughs> Jim Parker fires his shotgun and the beast is hit and falls. Jim runs to assist Lyle, who is still lying on the ground, looking concussed. Because <laughs> yeah. the X-Files loves to concuss people. Yeah. No splinters, though. Sorry. Parkour kitty. Yes, Moses has decided to be parkour. Jim looks over at the beast, but instead of seeing the animal, he sees a man lying dead on his back and there's blood flowing from his chest. So now we are in scene two. Mulder and Scully are talking with Jim and Lyle Parker at their ranch house. There are, I wrote again, there are numerous mounted animal heads on the walls. Apparently I couldn't get over the fact that they were trophy hunters. The Parker's attorney 
David Gates is also in the room. Jim Parker says, I am not a killer, and I never meant to hurt no one. But I'm tired of my cattle being butchered 100 miles from the slaughterhouse. That's the fourth one this month. So, I feel like there's no empathy with this man. I don't know. I think I'd be pretty peeved if something kept coming in and killing my livestock. Yeah, but he starts with, I'm not a killer. Except he did just murder a man. Eh, not really, though. Yes, he did. He murdered a wild man-wolf beast. <laughs> Joe Goodensnake was a man. But he didn't shoot Joe Goodensnake. Well, that's not what the evidence shows. Yeah, the evidence shows Lyle's torn up really good, too. It's true. Kind of. So, self-defense. I do love how Jim here is like, and he tore up, he, he attacked my boy, as if Lyle is 17. <laughs> He's acting like Lyle's 17. Lyle's 40. <laughs> <laughs> he, he attacked my boy. <laughs> That was just interesting. Parker is also in a federal court case against the, or with, the local Tragos tribe. Parker murdered the tr- a Trago young man and no and believes that no one is as sorry about it as he is. Mm, that's a pretty dumb statement. And I'm like, maybe, I don't know, like the dead guy or the dead guy's family and friends. Yeah. Now, I hate to be the white elephant in the room, but this initial investigation frustrates the hell out of me. Yeah. Because the evidence does show, at very, at the very least, self-defense. Because, yeah. Because the son was being attacked. Right. And they didn't invite Joe Goodensnake over to come hang out and slaughter a cattle. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was, to them, it was, a, it was a beast killing their cattle and then attacking them. The beast turned out to be a man, but the, you know, gashes on Lyle show... They were being attacked, and it was self-defense. Lyle should have been real busted up, too, for being thrown through the fence. Yeah. He should really be in bad shape, and he's fine. He's not fine. He's all cut up. He's cut up, but he's walking around fine. I'm thinking if you got bodily thrown through a wooden fence, your back would ache a little bit. If I got bodily thrown through a wooden fence, I would not move for a month. <laughs> I, I believe you. <laughs> I think you would just lay there. I would On that ground. Yep. <laughs> I might move the fence out from underneath me. I think you would lay there and moan and be like, can you get a tent and put over me because it's just too hot? I need some shade. Bring a fan. (laughs) Can you bring me something to drink with a straw? (laughs) And I'd be like, you know what? Fair. That has to hurt. The sun talks to Mulder and Scully outside after the whole um, federal court case is described and it turns out to be a red herring so (laughs) (laughs) it never comes up again but the son is outside talking to them and he doesn't believe that whatever it was that attacked him last night is a creature of this world he says it gives him the creeps and Scully acts like she's never heard anybody describe anything (laughs) as creepy (laughs) The creeps? Yeah, the creeps. Haven't you ever had the creeps? Yeah, he literally asks her. (laughs) It's it's a weird scene. You know what, Lyle? Yes, I have had the creeps before. I I understand. Yeah, looking at his haircut gives me the creeps. (laughs) But 
But no matter what anybody says, Scully believes the Parkers killed Joe Goodensnake and stopped short of believing they would have skinned him. Because as they look around, Mulder finds a sheaf of skin. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird thing. The whole thing is weird because he finds prints. The prints don't make any sense because they're human footprints and then animal footprints. Right. So like Joe Goodensnake went there naked as a, person. as a person and turned on purpose. Right, because we'll find we'll talk about this in a little bit because it, their explanation of when they turn, they seem to have forgotten. Yeah. They give a whole explanation and then go against it. Yeah. And then Mulder doesn't take any pictures of the prints. No. Nope. He doesn't take any plaster casts of the prints. Nope. Just that little, that flap of hand skin. <laughs> he picks that up. Waves it in Scully's face. Yeah, it's terrible investigating. It's really bad. We've, we're in episode 19 and they are terrible investigators. They're getting worse. Just wait. I have a whole, there's a whole scene in here where it's just all caps. Why are you touching the evidence? <laughs> <laughs> so after that scene, they go to the Trago Indian Reservation in northwest Montana. Mulder and Scully walk into a tavern. I believe we should point out now, because we haven't yet, the Trago are not a real tribe. Oh, yes. I have a little bit about that in a bit, but very basic. Uh, basically that. Basically, so, okay. Yeah. feel like we should say that up. Yes, that's a good point. The Trago Indians are not... Not real. Not a real... They're made up for this. Yeah. So all of their customs and legends, uh, they're, there's free reign to say whatever you want. Apparently. you just made, made up a... Of people. Yeah. I did pull a little bit from a Vulture article that I found that is where I verified, because we looked this up to see if we could find anything about Tragos and couldn't. But it did turn up this Vulture article that I'll read a little bit about in, in a bit when we get a little bit more into the story. Alright. You guys have seen this already, so none of this is a surprise, but it fits a little better in a bit. So they're in the tavern, and Mulder says he and Scully aren't from around here, which is Highly unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is a really interesting scene, and there's a lot of dialogue, but the primary thing is that Ish and Gwen really lay out that the agents are unwelcome and why. From Ish being at Wounded Knee in 1973 to Gwen's brother being murdered and the FBI only being interested in when it suits them. And there's a whole bunch of explanation. It's really solid. So they did this part right. Yeah, they definitely did this part right. I love that Ish... Brings up Wounded Knee, because so far in this show, we haven't really gotten enough of, yeah, the FBI is actually evil. (laughs) Just flat out evil. Terrible people. And I like that somebody brought that up. I can smell you, FBI. Yes. So there's a little bit of dialogue I did bring in, because um, Scully and Mulder are talking to Ish, who is at a table with some of his buddies, and that's when he says, I can smell you, FBI. And Scully says, we're looking for an individual who might be able to provide information on the homicide of Joe Goodensnake. She's being very FBI about it. Mm-hmm. Mulder interrupts her and says, we're looking for anyone that can create human tracks in one step and animal tracks in the next. He's like, you dumb dummies, let me dumb it down for you. <laughs> no, <laughs> I actually disagree. I think this is one of the role reversals where usually Scully is the one to speak someone's language to them. Oh, okay. Mulder does it this time. Be- All right. Probably specifically because it's not a thing Scully would ever believe in. No. And Mulder does. So he, I, All right. I think it's a, yeah, usually Scully's the one to do that. She is. 
And I think I was irritated at Mulder for just cutting her off. I'm like, stop interrupting the lady. Yeah, I think it was the appropriate thing I think, to do here. Cause I think they should have talked about, talked about it out front. Probably. But I think it was the right play. Like, we should have had this conversation before we were recording. <laughs> nah. <laughs> All right. Ish says, Parker, he found what you're looking for. He killed what you're looking for, FBI. And that's when Gwen Goodensnake, who's over at the pool table, slams down the pool cue. And she says, what Parker and his kid killed was my brother. And you're all too afraid of some stupid Indian legend to do anything. I hate it. And Ish says, Gwen! Gwen says, and I hate suits who are always here when they need something from us. And when we need help, they're nowhere to be found. Yeah. Yeah. Screw you, FBI. And that's when Sheriff Tuscany shows up. So Scully says, oh, Sheriff Tuscany. Yeah. (laughs) Mulder pronounced it correctly earlier. And then then maybe they shot this scene first. But it's like she... We have so many behind the scenes questions. Yeah. So then the sheriff takes them over to his building. His, what do you even call it? Sheriff's department? Police station? Police station. (laughs) I just couldn't remember where the police go. (laughs) Where do the police live? (laughs) Uh, Mulder talks to Sheriff Scotty and he says, The woman in the pool hall said that people were afraid of some Indian legend. What do they believe happened in the Parker case? And I love this line. Do you want to read Sheriff Scotty's line? Uh, You liked this too. All right, go for it. And now for Cast Files Theater. Look, I'm not a park ranger here to answer all your questions about Indians. Whenever I need federal help, I never get it. Since this case falls under the jurisdiction of the FBI, you're entitled to examine the body, so let's get it over with. That was Cast Files Theater. Yes, that's right. Shut it down. These people are giving the FBI nothing. And I love it. Yes, in this case, it makes a lot of sense. I absolutely love it. It's the only thing that makes sense. They examine Joe Goodensnake's body, and he has slash marks scarring on his chest and canine cuspids. And I said, oh, no plaque on his teeth, so great oral hygiene. Nice. (laughs) You rarely see canine cuspids without, you know, just a little bit of something growing in there. Good job, Joe. They want to, the agents want to do a, they want to look at the dental x-rays. And Scully suggests that his dental records may have been swapped because in the dental records that they can find, it's all human. And in looking at him with their eyeballs, it's obviously something else. Yeah. Um, Scully wants to do an autopsy, but Sheriff Scotty says no. She says that she's fully qualified, and Mulder explains that if his teeth are different than human, there might be something else inside his body to show something else. Unclear what, but something. And Sheriff Tuscani says, Tragos believe that the recent dead are unsettled by their new condition as spirits. Any desecration of the body angers the spirit and keeps it haunting this world. So, again, no, you cannot desecrate this body. Just because you believe your own things doesn't mean that we are going to allow you to desecrate this person and keep him here in the earthly realm forever. Right. The agents don't take that as a reasonable answer and they keep pressing Tuscani. Do you want to read his next line? All I know is tomorrow, day after, you're going to leave. But I have to stay here. I've got an answer to these people. 
you can continue your investigation, but you're going to have to do it without Joe Goodensnake's body. That's right. Mulder hands him the dental records, and he and Scully leave. Now, I'm wondering if this character was originally written as a white person. I'm curious, too. I don't like the me versus them. He talks as if he's something other than the Tragos. Right. He sounds like he's... He, he talks as if he's an outsider. Yeah. Now, he's doing the right thing. Yes. He's standing up for them, but he does talk about them like he's other than them. He really does. There's another scene when they walk in, there's some some people standing vigil outside. And he says, anybody who works with me knows that I keep the ancient beliefs out there and the police work in here. Yeah. And it just, it's there's a lot of othering. This yeah. is another X-Files episode where they're othering a lot. And if he was other, that would make more sense. More sense. For him it to still be would be like, like yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if it was originally written as a white person and then Michael Horse was available and they were like, oh yeah, get him. <laughs> Michael Horse is great. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to say no to that. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. So after uh, Mulder and Scully leave, they are sitting in the car outside waiting for the funeral pyre, I believe. Yeah, the funeral pyre to be built or they're watching and that's when Mulder wows us with his J. Edgar Hoover talk apparently the very first X-File was against indigenous people as well mm. <laughs> interesting <laughs> Scully is like no I don't believe this and Mulder's like but you have to because here's the evidence and <laughs> Scully's like no I don't know no look here's a drawing <laughs> yeah <laughs> no lycanthropy is not real and <laughs> He's like, but it has to be because J. Edgar Hoover said so, and that's why I have this job, because that's how the X-Files started. (laughs) (laughs) And Scully's like, ugh, no. One thing we don't get in this episode is Scully's field journal exposition. Oh, no, because she's out in the... Actual field. Actual field, so she doesn't have her computer with her. Hmm. Laptops weighed 74 pounds. Oh, my gosh, yes. Back then. So they exit the car. Scully has... A scene where she's yelling at Mulder, who's two feet away, while the funeral's being set up. And it's a weird scene that we talked about both times we watched this. Where we're just like, why is she yelling she's this? She's yelling so loud about people turning into wolves. <laughs> like, four feet away from the dead body of the person that Mulder thinks turned into a wolf. Yes, it's it's wild. So what I've decided is happening is that there there was a lot of background noise so they had to shoot the scene pretty quickly and they had already done it a couple of times and it was like just speak loud get through it and we'll be done because <laughs> if you watch that scene scully's delivering her lines to Mulder, and Mulder is what is basically he's like watching her mouth <laughs> as she's saying the lines so that he can be like okay and she got through it well we'll see about that and then it's in scene <laughs> I feel like there was some microphone issues happening. (laughs) Uh, Scully goes over to give her condolences to Gwen, and Mulder confronts Sheriff Scani and asks about shapeshifters, to which Scani simply replies, Mulder, this is a funeral. (laughs) I loved that. Because Mulder's like, but, 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 (laughs) but. He's like, dude, stop. After dark, the pyre is lit and the ceremony begins. Here's when Lyle Parker interrupts like a total ass. Gwen tells him to GTFO, and Sheriff Tuscany backs her up, and Lyle leaves. 
There's no reason for this guy to come up. Your dad murdered him. No. Pay your respects at home. Yes. Respectfully. Right. I just wanted... Nobody wants you here, and you know that nobody wants you here. And if you don't know that they don't want you here, that's even an extra layer of <laughs> just what is happening. Hey, look, uh, I'm entitled to do whatever makes me feel better, so why don't you calm down? Yeah. That's basically what he was saying. Ugh, which we'll actually get into. I have another question about how Lyle handles this scene mm-hmm. and the aftermath in a moment, which originally made sense to me, but then as they deconstructed their own myth, doesn't really work. So I'm not <laughs> sure. I want, I want to get your take. Okay. So after Lyle leaves, because he was all in his feelings and decided his emotions mattered more than anybody else's, we see Charlie Parker sitting alone on his porch, and he's just drinking whiskey and smoking a cigar. Editor's note, Charlie Parker was an American jazz musician. This character's name is Jim. He's drinking the most watered-down whiskey I've ever seen. <laughs> and then he's attacked by a wolf. The end <laughs> of Charlie Parker. Yes. Jim. He, he did. He did. All right, we're at the next day. The authorities are at the ranch house investigating Charlie Parker's death. Jim. Scully lifts the plastic covering the body, and Tuscany approaches. Apparently, Scully's version of mutilated and mine are wildly different. Because she says (laughs) Charlie Parker's body has been mutilated. Jim. And in the background, we can see just a full body (laughs) under... A plastic sheet and no blood anywhere. And I feel, I don't know how you feel about the term mutilated, but I feel like there should be at least a little bit of gore if somebody's been mutilated. Probably. You said he's under a sheet, right? Yeah, but it's his full body. Well, you don't have to be dismembered to be mutilated. It wasn't even bloody. Well, that's because the wolf thing ate all the blood. No, it didn't. The wolf isn't eating any of these people. Ah, we'll come back to this. All right. Because... I beg to disagree. We will come back to this. Oh, yeah, we will. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, um, there's another part at the beginning when they're talking about the horned cow. I believe it was Charlie. Seriously? It's Jim. Who said that it was torn to ribbons. Oh, yeah, it was and like shredded s- paper. Yeah, and we see the cow carcass under a tarp, which is also intact. It's just a hole in... T- there's no blood anywhere. <laughs> They didn't have the budget for fake blood. Or probably network TV couldn't show it all. I wonder. I'm always, I'm curious. So that's obviously a nitpick thing, but I do like horror. And I like to read horror and I like to watch horror. And when they're saying, when they're using these very horror-tastic terms and being very (laughs) G-rated about (laughs) it, I'm like, come on, guys. Give me a little something. So we know that Scully and I have different versions of mutilated. It turns out that Gwen is missing. Scotty tells Scully that Gwen has disappeared, which makes sense. I mean, her brother's funeral was last night. Maybe she's just off having some alone time because Lyle came and ruined everything. And just, I wouldn't be too concerned if Gwen was missing for a day. But Lyle is also missing and nobody seems concerned about that. No, they think that he's probably also been murdered. Is that what you got? Yeah, they men they mention it. Oh, I I, I think that. Scully is actually the one who says that though. That she thinks he's been killed also. Yeah. Hmm. I just know that he's missing. And then Scully goes and searches the barn and finds a mountain lion. In a cage. In a very small cage. For no reason. None at all. 
Meanwhile, Mulder is off smelling hunks of discarded fur and collecting sheets of skin. Which begs the question, does this thing shed its skin every time it transforms? Both ways? I don't know. Wouldn't there just be, like, human skin suits all over this town? Yes. Human and wolf. Yeah, just constantly. It would it, it'd be so gross. It would smell so bad there. It would be really bad. It seems like, in this case, yes. But also, at some point, you're going to run out of material. How many times can you discard the exterior of your body and then regenerate the next piece? Well, if it's magical, you can do it as many times as you would need. <sighs> Deus Ex Machina. Magic. Metaphysics. Metaphysics? Metaphysics. Oh, no. All right. <laughs> Apparently, yes. Um, back at the body, everyone is touching the body with bare hands. Here's where I... Yeah. Everything's caps. Stop screwing up the evidence. <laughs> But they don't, because Sheriff Tuscani pulls a tooth out of the body. Which was weird. Yep, it was. Because nobody's missing a tooth. Right. Apparently they regenerate all of their body pieces. That's neat. It is. Lyle turns up naked. Scully takes him to get checked. They are at the Grove Medical Clinic in Browning, Montana. Lyle is in the hospital, and Scully tells him that his father is dead. How did you feel about this scene? So, Lyle asks if it's his fault. And I said, is this a confession? No! He wants to know if by going to the funeral, he evoked the Tragos to come murder his dad. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. Apparently, Lyle got blackout drunk and believes he wandered around naked until morning. But really? Sounds like a fun night. He murdered his father. It's my birthday right now, so maybe I should do that. Go somewhere else. I don't want to deal with that. (laughs) I want to sleep some more. And here's where they explain the mountain lion. When Lyle's mother was alive, she started keeping animals that wandered in on the ranch. They say wandered in. Basically, animals that live here. Yes. We put them in cages because... I can't figure it out. They're not rehabbing and releasing. This isn't an animal rescue. It's not a wildlife catch tag release situation. They're just keeping them in two small kennels in the barn and going in and looking at them sometimes. Yeah, real weird. You know what? The feds need to investigate that. <laughs> <laughs> Illegal zoo. Yes. In the next scene, we're at Ish's house. Mulder, Ish, and Scani sit on the floor in a circle as Ish tells a story of the Manitou. Ish describes the Watkins case, and Mulder, of course, is familiar with it because Mulder's familiar with literally everything, even though we never see him reading anything at all. He knows all of it. Well, that's what he talked about to Scully. The Watkins case? Yeah. Oh. I missed it, because I also don't listen to Mulder. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Watkins had been attacked by an animal when he was alone in the woods. His scars healed, and basically that was the end of the story. Or would have been, until more murders began, and the Tragos realized that Watkins had been attacked by what the Algonquins called a Manitou, which is an evil spirit capable of changing a man into a beast. To be attacked by a Manitou causes the victim to become one. Now, the Manitou is actually a real thing. Yes. So, I looked it up because I wanted to know what this thing is, is more akin to a werewolf. Yes. Or possibly a skinwalker. Yes. Skinwalker can be a bunch of different things, but there's like, eh, whatever. But the Manitou, as you said, is actually Algonquin. Mm-hmm. And what it is is a spiritual and fundamental life force. It's omnipresent, it's in everything, it's around everything. It's it sounds like what George Lucas took to make the force. Right. And now there are Asha Monatu, 
which is a good spirit, and Achi Monitu, which is a bad spirit. But there's nothing about the bad spirits like making werewolves or anything. Right. So I don't know why you pick a thing that's real and then just completely ignore what it actually is. It's a bad look. It really is, and that's where I was pulling from this Vulture article about the Manitou. So the Vulture article is called The 10 Most Embarrassing X-Files Episodes by Devin Maloney, and he talks about several different things, but this specific episode, he says, Considering how terribly Native Americans are treated to this day, using their religions and cultures in a show about the supernatural, and the choice to continue doing so repeatedly throughout the series. Oh, good. Yeah. I wasn't going to put that in because I know you don't like any kinds of spoilers, but there's like 11, 16, 47 more seasons, so <laughs> they're going to do this again. Uh, it wasn't a good look for the X-Files. Never mind that the reservation in the episode belonged to the Trago tribe, which doesn't exist, nor the fact that the Manitou, which is described in the episode as a specific legendary spirit that can possess humans, is simply the Algonquin concept of any spirit in the broadest sense. And so they're using a lot of stereotypes, including some ghost stories told over a soundtrack of pan flute and drums. It's pretty egregious. Yeah. I don't know why you don't just go with Skinwalker. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's right there. You can just, this thing's a Skinwalker. Although I don't believe Skinwalkers are contagious. Maybe that's, but the Manitou doesn't sound contagious either. Yeah, it is. It's just a spirit. Oh, not the real Manitou. Gotcha, okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so, huh, whatever. It, interesting. So we're learning things. This is another episode where we're learning things. Good for us. Ish continues, a Manitou overtakes a man by night. Oh, here, here, this is important to the rest of our question marks about the rest of this episode. <laughs> Ish continues telling his story and says, a Manitou overtakes a man at night, not by full moon, which they will forget in five minutes. Well, that's just coincidental. Is it? Yeah. I'm going to ask you again, is it, in a minute with a follow-up question. But when its bloodlust builds to an uncontrollable level, a man changes to a sickening creature. They're not saying werewolf, because this is another one of those shows where we don't say the thing in the thing, I guess. Yeah. But whatever. It kills, releasing a savage energy. The man returns to his true self, unaware of what has happened, and the cycle begins anew the next day. This continues until death. Okay, so we've set up the mythology of this Manitou and what's happening here. It's something that overtakes a man because of bloodlust, not by full moon. And the human part of that person doesn't remember. And so because Joe Goodensnake was this werewolf, they all suspect Gwen now. Because it can be, yeah. Because it can be transmitted, which they talked about with the Watkins case. No, because it can be hereditary. Oh, hereditary. That's right. Okay. So they suspect Gwen, and they hear a noise outside, and all three of them draw guns and chase Gwen. She just happens to be there stealing a truck, but she doesn't steal it fast enough, and she gets caught. She's terrified because she saw the thing that killed Parker, because dun-dun-dun, it wasn't Gwen. This scene right here, uh, Renee Morrison, is going for it. Yeah. She <laughs> let loose every actor trick she had and just let it loose it was pretty fun to watch it was good yeah she was good in this scene Mulder calls the hospital to get Scully on the line but she's left with Lyle and it's a full moon but that doesn't matter no because we just learned it doesn't matter 
But we did learn that the hospital does this weird blood test where they show blood that you've ingested. From your blood? Yes. What is that? <laughs> so in this scene, for anybody who hasn't watched it recently, the doctor is telling Mulder that, oh yeah, they left, but here's some medical information you didn't even ask about. We did a blood test on this guy, and it turns out that he has his father's blood in his blood system. <laughs> and it can only happen if you ingest it. Yeah. Dumb. <laughs> I don't know how this test works. I'm not currently a doctor. <laughs> but that can't be accurate. <laughs> yeah, and you were talking about how it might it would have made more sense, maybe not actual scientific sense, but more sense in our layman brains if they had pumped his stomach and yeah. then found some sort of evidence it still wouldn't make sense that they would identify his blood his father's blood that quickly but right some evidence that he had eaten a person that would have made sense but a blood test yeah that's showing you that that this person has ingested other blood it's pretty ridiculous it's great in my opinion i it'd be crazy if somebody emailed us and said oh no that's completely accurate i would love that if that's true all the, all the doctors out there Yep, all of y'all. So then we're driving back to Parker Ranch. We see Scully and Lyle. They are still, again, full shot of the full moon. We keep getting the full moon shots. Yeah. And we just got the story that it's not the full moon. I wonder if David Nutter had that scene on, uh, what's it called, second shift? Second. B-roll? <laughs> no, not B-roll. Second B-roll? <laughs> <laughs> Second crew, something like that. I don't know, but they used it. They telescoped the moon, a full moon, a bunch of times. Yeah. Right after saying that it has nothing to do with the full moon. Uh, but they enter the, the Parker's ranch, and Scully tries the light switch, but the light's off. Lyle says it happens all the time, which, fine. They're out away from the town center, any town center. That makes some sort of sense. Then Lyle keels over because he feels sick and asks Scully to help him to the bathroom. Because they didn't pump his stomach. I guess so. And she does. Right, because he drank all of that bourbon, right? Or whiskey, <laughs> whatever he was drinking. Or he thinks he did, anyway. Right? I wonder what happened to that. Well, he probably just turned into the Manitou. He just bought the alcohol and then went out into the woods and turned, turned into, into the Manitou. Yeah. So Lyle is turning in the bathroom, banging on walls. Scully wants him to let her in, and David had a huge problem with this. He thinks that Scully should just let him poop in peace. Yeah. <laughs> She's like unscrewing the doorknob and everything. <laughs> Give me some privacy. Your reaction was so funny. <laughs> it's, it's egregious. <laughs> I don't think you should be banging your body off of different walls inside a bathroom if you're also <laughs> sitting on the toilet. <laughs> hey, sometimes it's a struggle. <laughs> you should go to that doctor with the cool blood test. He might be able to tell you why it's such a struggle for you. He's probably got some fancy test for that. <laughs> I get that that box that comes in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> the happiest little box in the world that you poop in. <laughs> oh, this can't be funny for anybody but us. But that's fine. <sighs> and then we we see him turning, and it's actually really good because we've had some hits and misses with the effects and budget and everything for this first season, and yeah. I think they did a good job. They did. It's very reminiscent of one of my favorite movies, American Werewolf in London. This transformation scene is very similar to David's transformation scene in that movie. 
I liked it. I was I was really happy with it. But the thing that I don't understand is what happened to bring on this bloodlust because now they've just telescoped that it's all is that the right word? It's just I would just go anger anger. Why would he be angry? He's got no reason to be. Right. <laughs> it makes sense that he would get mad at his dad. For, yeah. For killing the guy and because he's feeling all guilty and everything. So that scenario makes sense. It doesn't make sense for him to be super angry at Scully for helping him. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. This is the part of the scene that doesn't make sense because we keep seeing the full moon. And so they're basically saying the full moon is bringing this on. But we just heard that the full moon doesn't bring it on. It's bloodlust. But there's no reason for him to have uncontrolled bloodlust right now yeah unless it's being back at the house and now he's maybe it's his guilt slash anger which is why all men need to go to therapy because they can't figure out that guilt and anger are emotions and now they're murdering people yeah i guess i don't i'm curious like what why why would he be turning now unless there's something we missed twice both of us i guess that's like four times yeah oh well well I don't know why he's mad. So anyway, he's turning. Uh, Mulder and Scotty are pulling up outside, and Lyle bursts out of the bathroom door, attacking Scully. By the time that Mulder and Scotty get inside, Scully has disappeared, which also leaves me questions for in a moment when we find out that she still believes Lyle's in the bathroom. <laughs> so where did she go? Yeah. I know that she hid, and fine. If you're being attacked by a wild animal, absolutely get out of there. But then she was gone for the for a while while Mulder and Scotty bust into the house Mulder shoots up everything <laughs> I think he only fires at the, the bear uh, he fired more than that he did shoot at uh the manito yeah but like he only fired like errantly the one time he had a target there the other All right. two I think he fires off three shots yeah Mulder is searching the house and we see claw marks on the wall Mulder shoots wildly at things running and growling in the dark. And I said, I hope Scully and Tuscany aren't in the house. Oh, wait, Scully is in the house. <laughs> <laughs> but doesn't know what's happening. And oh, by the way, she lost her gun. Yep. Why bother issuing her a new gun ever again? She doesn't need it, clearly. No. Unless she's killing uh, bank robbers seconds after they <laughs> kill somebody else. I'm really curious about how the functionality of how this would happen because in practice you she would have her gun in a holster under her jacket yeah. that was buttoned in. Yeah, she definitely didn't in. have have it out. No. And so so she got knocked over. Okay, but that shouldn't unsnap your holster and dislodge your gun from underneath your coat. No. It's a lot of work happening to lose your weapon. Also, they show her flashlight getting thrown across. She wasn't even holding her flashlight. Right. She was holding a screwdriver trying to get in to watch the guy poop. <laughs> Look, don't yuck someone else's yum. <laughs> <laughs> Mulder and Scully are both walking through the dark, facing the same way, when Ware Lyle attacks from behind and Scotty shoots and kills him. Scully is surprised when she sees dead Lyle, believing that he had remained in the bathroom, being sick, she thought that the mountain lion had attacked her, but the mountain lion is still in its too small cage out back. So, not that. Later, as the agents are leaving, uh, they mention that Gwen was going to say goodbye, but Gwen is missing again. Yeah, why would why would Gwen bother saying goodbye to these people? It makes no sense. She hates all of them. 
and rightly. She rightly hates them. And I, so it says she's missing again, and I said it, which is really her best bet while the feds are there. Oh, yeah. So just, yeah, that makes sense. And then Ish calls to Mulder as they're leaving and says, see you in about eight years. And Mulder says, I hope not. Well, here's the thing. He's going to see him a lot sooner than that. Oh. Because Good and Snake had the claw marks. So he was turned into a Manitou by something else. Yep. And that one was never caught. Nope. Still out there. Yep. Loose end. Yes. Love it. You gotta love it. Uh, do I have to? Yep. Didn't you hear me? I did. Well, I looked up a little bit more about wolves and Native American folklore on Wikipedia. I know it's not the end-all be-all, but I did find some interesting things if you want to learn a little bit. Sure. I'm not going to go through all of this, but just the very beginning part of it. So in the cardinal directions of Midwestern indigenous peoples, the wolf represented the West, but it represented the Southeast for the Pawnee tribe. So directionals. The According to the Pawnee creation myth, the wolf was the first creature to experience death. The wolf star, enraged by not having been invited to attend a council on how the earth should be made, sent a wolf to steal the whirlwind bag of the storm that comes out of the west, which contains the first humans. Upon being freed from the bag, the humans killed the wolf, thus bringing death into the world. Indigenous peoples have long seen the wolf as an animal of power. Many tribes credit the actual creator of the earth to be a wolf, and the Arikara and Ojibwe believed that a wolfman spirit made the Great Plains for them and for other animals. Many tribes consider wolves to be closely related to humans. The reason for this belief is because of the wolf's dedication to its pack, a trait that tribes attribute to with themselves. We also see the wolf in Navajo tribe. They were, the Navajo tribe was known for performing healing ceremonies where they would call upon wolves to restore health to their ill. Wolves were admired for their superb hunting skills. Prayers were offered in honor of wolves before they went on hunting excursions. And the Pawnee's connection with wolves was so great that their hand signal for Pawnee was actually the same that they had for wolf. So there's a lot of wolf. There's a lot more here, but I won't go into all of it. I wanted to go through some of that because this is obviously a wolf in this episode. And they're using it. They're mashing it up with the Manitou, which is... Nothing like that. Which is basically spirit, as we've learned. The wolf is so important to so many tribes in uh, in various ways that it feels even more disingenuous to mash it up with something else. Mm. But maybe that's not their that's probably not their ultimate goal. But I, I think that this some of these would have been interesting pieces to throw in, not throw in, to use and actually you know do a little bit of research. Yeah. I do like how the wolf is throughout a variety of folklore and legends. I think my favorite was that it is believed to be the creator of the, the earth as humans know it. Sure, why not? Sounds as good as anything else. Yeah, well, what do you got? Well, who are you shipping? Ugh, I'm shipping... I don't know, do you have anybody? I'm shipping Gwen and somebody she meets on her travels after yes. this episode. I was thinking Gwen also. Like, Gwen needs someone, but who? No one here. No one here, right. I hope she finds somebody that brings her peace. Yes. She doesn't need someone as in a romantic partner necessarily, but she needs... She, she has no one. She made it very clear that the townspeople were not great. And I, it was unclear if her brother was just an awful person. Because remember when she handed Scully yeah, the... he doesn't have... He has more stuff than friends. Yeah. 
So I feel like her brother was not necessarily an awful person, but maybe a hard person to get along with. And now she doesn't have him, and he was the only family she had left. And I would really like her to find someone in in a capacity. You know, a found family. Yep. So I guess that's not necessarily a ship, but it's a... For me, it's a ship. You know what? Specifically, because that's the rules of this podcast. I keep changing them. To suit my desires and my needs. I know. How are you surviving? I have seen enough Buffy the Vampire Slayer and being human that I am surviving by getting myself a cage or finding myself some woods out in the middle of nowhere to run around. Because apparently I'm a manito in my scenario. Apparently you are. Not a bad thing. So, Joe Goodensnake was killing the cattle. Apparently, I guess. Because he was probably mad at them for the whole land dispute thing. You think that's why? Okay, that was going to be my question. Because it didn't seem like he was eating them either as the wolf. Guess not. And then if it was bloodlust, so he'd be mad about the lawsuit or the land dispute, I guess. So that's why he was turning into the manito in this. We're calling it a manito because that's what they call it. In this scenario, and mutilating cattle. That's yeah. another mutilating cattle. Yeah, yeah. We should start putting together actual an actual board that's like, oh, cattle <laughs> mutilation came up here and here. <laughs> Gym teacher came up here and here. <laughs> okay, that's what I was curious about, because they don't seem like they're eating each other or eating whatever they're catching. I guess that's probably why they call it bloodlust instead of hunger or... Yeah. I don't know. It was unclear. There was a lot of mashing up of legends and things here. All right. How are you surviving? Oh, I'm not going to Montana. Seems to be the way you're surviving a lot of things. So just by not being there. <laughs> I'm going to need you to be more creative. I'm being very creative by not traveling. Okay. <laughs> well, 19 episodes in, we have now lasted as long as Salvage One, which is a science fiction show starring Andy Griffith. Ugh. <laughs> you got something against Andy Griffith? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so he basically he runs an outer space uh, scrapping, chipping, or scrapping uh, salvage. Okay. Yeah. Apparently. Andy Griffith is an actual person, not just a TV show. Yeah, the show was named after him, like the Dick Van Dyke show. Dick Van Dyke was a real person. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that one I knew. He still is. Right. And. Eerie, Indiana. Okay. Which was a horror science fiction show that was on, that took place in the town of Erie, Indiana. I wonder why they named it that. I've seen that on Hulu, I think. Not, I've not watched it. I've seen the, hmm, curious. Could not tell you. Okay. That's it. All right. Bye. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at CastFiles. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at TheCastFiles. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things. Artistic, wonderful things. We are raising the bar on podcasting. We would love you forever for that. We have a Tee Public store. You can go buy t-shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal Six. Logo by Atuka Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. 